Hello, Evangel family. Pastor Chris here. Thank you again for being a part of our services here today. I'm so thankful and expectant for God to meet us in a special way. And uh, we need to spend this time in God's presence. As we look at what's going on in the world around us, we can feel uh, the tensions rising. We could feel uh, the, the pain that so many are experiencing at this hour. And our hearts truly um, are, are burdened and even broken. But I feel that God is bringing an awakening to our land. And I believe that this is a part of an incredible move of God that is on the way. And so, church family, let's continue to lean in. Let's continue to ask God to meet us, to speak to us and most importantly, to use us during this critical hour. It's so important that our voice, our actions, our lives reflect God's priorities and his love, especially at a moment like now. Uh, as we have been walking through this season, especially over the last week or so, God has been burdening my heart. I shared a message with you that the Holy Spirit had laid on my heart last Sunday, and uh, that really began uh, a process in my own heart and life where I've been asking the Lord, Lord, what is it at this critical hour and juncture that you want us to look to your word to understand and all that continued to come up in my heart was this idea of God's love and I want to tell you something today that I believe that the answer to what we're faced with at this hour is all found in the love of God the incredible love that he has for us I was reminded of a passage of scripture that we explored several weeks ago uh, towards the beginning of this pandemic as it unfolded. It's found in Luke's gospel, chapter 10. And I want us to revisit this passage of scripture here for just a moment. Look what it says in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asks him to answer the question himself. Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Then he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now see, this teacher of the law, he understood something here. But then quickly after he asks this question, the Bible says he wanted to do something. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor? You see, there's this moment in time where we can understand that's important to love God with everything that we have, that we can understand that it's important to love others, that we can have this head knowledge of this idea that yes, we're supposed to love one another. Yes, we're supposed to love God. But what was found in this passage was that Jesus wanted to reveal to this man at this hour upon that question, who is my neighbor? That question and a desire to justify himself showed that he did not fully grasp this idea of love that Jesus was portraying, that ultimately Jesus gave his life to show and demonstrate. And so he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus steps back and then he enters into a story, the story of the Good Samaritan, a story where Jesus would show what the love of God looks like and feels like. And my friends, here's what is an incredible revelation to me. I don't know if you've ever considered this that what Jesus chose to use when wanting to talk about what it means to love our neighbor was Jesus chose an illustration in a story of the most racially charged um, tension of their day, Jews and Samaritans. 
he chose a racially charged um, a people that were full of prejudice towards one another. All of this tension, all of this baggage. And Jesus says, you want to see what it looks like to love your neighbor? Let me tell you a story. A man, a Jewish man went down. We understand how the story goes, many of us. He's beaten. He's left half for dead. He's hurting in the street. And as religious people go by, one by one, they make a reason in their own heart on why they won't go and stand and enter into the pain and suffering of that one that's left for dead. But there's a Samaritan, someone that doesn't look like him, that doesn't think like him, that honestly, in many ways, they were a very divided people, and yet he was the one that was willing to enter into the pain. He was willing to go and do everything he could to show and demonstrate his care for that one that was hurting. And Jesus said, this is what it is. Which one loved their neighbor? And they had to say the, the one who stopped. They didn't want to say the Samaritan. You know, that story has taken on incredible depths in my own heart and life as I'm considering uh, what many of my black brothers and sisters, people that call Evangel Church home, I've had conversations, I've had phone calls, I've, I've wept with some of those that are hurting so deeply at this hour. And I may never fully understand, but one of our pastors reminded me of something just this week that although we don't understand doesn't mean we can't stand, doesn't mean we can't come alongside, doesn't mean we can't love and can't do everything we can to care for those that are hurting at this hour. And I know as many all around the nation and even in our communities are standing and lifting their voice, there is a picture of what God desires to see that demonstration of love. Yes, there are headlines about uh, looting and rioting and, and the worst of what can come in moments like that, but there's also so a beauty of when we can truly stand in peace together, loving one another. Man, God's word is so full of this idea that there is a greater love. My friends, there's a love that is simply lip service where we could say, I love it like I love my phone or I love a show or I love my favorite food. But I want you to know there is a greater love that's found in the presence of God. And I want us to go on a journey together, if you'll join me, in exploring that love and allowing that love to transform our hearts, our lives, our relationships, everything about us and through us. I believe that the answer to the needs of this hour are found in the love of of God, that if we can truly go to say, Lord, if there's a greater love, let me understand it, let me grasp it, let me take, take hold of it, that if we're willing to ask the question, the Lord's willing to pour it out. You know, if you'll open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter three, I want us to go to this famous prayer that the apostle Paul prayed, and he literally is kneeling, he says, while he's uh, having this letter penned that comes to us from God's word. He says this in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter three. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Look at that. Every family derives its name from one, our heavenly father. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. As we place our faith in Christ, his presence, his power dwells within us. And then he says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have power together with all God's holy people that we all, this is a prayer for all of us who are God's people, who belong to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we could grasp something, that we could grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses our knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. This is the greater love that God's word speaks to us of. Here's what Paul is praying. He's praying, listen to you, church of Ephesus. Come on right now, even to us, church, evangel church. I pray that we could truly grasp because we belong to him. How wide, how long, how great is the love of God. How deep it is how all-encompassing it is. I want you to know today that there is a greater love. I believe there's more depths to God's love than you can ever imagine. And today, if you allow it, the Lord can take you to a deeper place, a greater place to truly know this love. It says it surpasses our knowledge, our understanding. We can't even fathom it. He says, I pray that. And when you do that, you are gonna be filled with the fullness of God. His power, his spirit, his presence at work in us It has the power to tear down every dividing line. It has the power to transform us. It has the power to change our hearts. It has the power to change everything. That's the prayer. That's our goal today, to grasp this love, that our lives would be so established in it that it would transform everything about us, the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we have relationships with others, the way that we reflect Jesus every single day. That's my prayer for us. Come on, right now, would you just enter into that prayer with me? Heavenly Father, come on, would you pray this with me right out loud? Heavenly Father, help me to know this love, your love, in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think about this idea that God's love is deeper, it's greater. There's a greater love, my friends. There's a greater love than we could ever imagine. You know, I do think that in many ways we categorize love and we give love different depths. We, are, we already do it in our own lives and we create almost a tiered system of what love is meant to look like. There's the love we can have towards our friends and then there's greater love. You know, in fact, uh, whenever we think about the idea of greater love, I think of marital love, which is, um, it's a covenant that we enter into in marriage. And oftentimes when I stand at this altar with a couple and we've walked together for a season and they're now standing, making what I would say is the second most important decision of their lives. That's the second most important relationship. The first is the relationship between us and God through Jesus Christ. But outside of that, that's the greatest decision you can make in your life, or most important one, certainly. And so that's so important that love is understood in that moment. And so whenever we're watching a couple that will go through the process of preparing and they'll want to have a scripture passage read during that wedding ceremony, most times, I would say eight out of 10 at least, there's a passage of scripture that's read. Come on, all of you that might, uh, might be in the comments right now or taking part in church online or on Facebook, why don't you just give a guess? What, what passage of scripture do you think people most go to whenever we talk about this idea of a, a passage that's going to commemorate their marital love coming together? All right, go ahead and take a time, do that. Some of you may have guessed a lot of different things, maybe Ecclesiastes or whatever, but I, I want to tell you the one that comes all the time is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Yep, some of you got it right. 
Some of you are feeling really good right now because you're like, yep, I know it. First Corinthians 13 because it's the chapter of love. And it's often the most quoted passage of scripture when it comes to marriages. And it would make sense because it says, look, if I speak in the tongues of angels and men, but I don't have love, then I'm like a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. I can have all knowledge. I can know everything. I can have faith to move mountains. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I could give all my possessions to the poor and I can do all these amazing things and even give my body over to hardships. But if I don't have love, I gain nothing. And then it starts to describe this kind of love. You see a husband and wife looking into their eyes, each other's eyes lovingly. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It protects always. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. and says everything else will pass away. Everything, prophecy, words, all of these things will pass away, but love will remain. And it says and after everything is passed, these three will remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is what? Love. And I'll watch couples, and, and they'll, they'll look at this, and say, this, is, this has to be the foundation of our marriage. This has to, I preach messages about this. This has to be it. Come on, you gotta, you gotta make sure you're always persevering, that nothing will come between you, that you'll always be able to rejoice in the truth, that you always protect one another, you always trust and believe the best about one another. But you know what I know what the Lord convicted my heart about? Just this past week, as I've thought about it, and I've thought about this greater love, Lord, I need to see it. I need to understand it. I need to understand the depths of how you want me to love others. The Lord reminded me of, you might be shocked to realize this, that nowhere in 1 Corinthians 12, or 11, 13, 14, is God's word speaking anything about marriage. What? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a passage of scripture about marriage. It's a passage of scripture about how God's people are meant to love one another. Think about that for just a moment. Let that reality sink in. But yes, I mean, it, it, is, it is amazing that a husband and wife would want to stand and declare and commit themselves to this kind of love towards each other. For goodness sake, they're going to spend the rest of their lives together. But God's greatest desire is not just that husbands would love their wives and wives their husbands in this kind of love, but that you and I would love each other that way. That you and I would have that kind of love between one another. This is the love of God that's meant to mark the lives of his people. You want to see a passage of scripture about how husbands and wives are meant to love one another? Oh, then you go into Ephesians in these passages. Think about the one where it will say, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He laid down his life for her. So there are passages of scripture that very specifically speak to it. Talk about a greater love. It's that self-sacrificing love. Jesus said, greater love has none than this, that we lay down our lives for those that we love. But this passage in Corinthians speaks of this love we're meant to have towards one another. Come on, right now, would you just realize it? There is a greater love. Have I been loving that way? Have I been loving my spouse that way? Let alone have I been loving the person that I don't even know? Have I been loving the person that looks different than me? Have I been loving the person that maybe I disagree with? Have I been really loving Jesus the way that you have called me to love? 
See, there are four things that I believe if we really want to grasp this greater love that we have to understand. And I want to just walk through them with you today. And this is going to be a part of the foundation of where this uh, series is going to lead us over the next few weeks. But let me just give you four things today. They're going to help us to begin to grasp, just begin to grasp this greater love. The first is this, we must receive this love. What do you mean we must receive it? I believe this that we cannot in our own strength and power love the way that God wants us to love. It can't just come from within us. It has to come from heaven. Let me give you a few passages of scripture. Here's what it says this love is really all about. And, and it's amazing that almost all of these passages I'm gonna share with you today, they come from, uh, from John or from 1 John. What's interesting about the commonality of that word is that in the gospel of John, the disciple John, who was a follower of Jesus. In fact, he was the one that walked very closely with Jesus. He actually describes himself, his identity is the one whom Jesus loved. What would it look like if your identity was literally shaped by the love that God had for you? That's what I'm talking about. That when you receive his love, when you truly begin to grasp it, it changes your identity. It changes everything about you. And we learn so much about God's love through the love that God had for just this one follower of his. And so look here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, this isn't love that we love God, but that he loved us. That's the great demonstration of love that he sent his son to die for us. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here's what I want you to know. That until Jesus Christ fills your heart and your life and you truly surrender everything you are to him, you cannot fully fathom or grasp the love of God because it's the greatest demonstration of it. And that love is not something that's produced from within us. It's something that's produced in heaven and it's what changes our hearts. It's what changes our lives. It's, oh, what love the Father has lavished on us. We're now his children. That's how this happens. So we first must receive this love, not try to produce it in our own strength. The second attribute, and I think this is where we so often miss it, church, is we must remain in this love. Remain in it. Oh, how quickly feelings can fade. Oh, how quickly we can move on. But this love is something to be remained in. Here's what it says in 1 John 4, 16. It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. So do you know that love? You say, I think I know it, Pastor. Do you rely on it every day? Do we literally lean into it? Do you wake up in the morning and remember this fact that you are love? God loves you. Do you allow your life to walk from that place to know that you are loved, that you are fully known and fully loved by a God who created you, who knows you at your best and at your worst, and yet he tells you today, I love you. I love you. Do you rely on that love or do you doubt it? Do you rest in it? Do you rely on it? That's what it says. Forever lives in love lives in God 
in God in them. A part of having a life-giving relationship is to continually rest and rely on the love God has for you. John chapter 15 verse 9 and 10 says this, and I shared this with you last week. As the Father has loved me, this is what Jesus says, I have loved you. Now remain in my love, just like a vine and branches would remain, it would remain and it has to stay in that place. Remain in that place, it says remain in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you're gonna remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and I remain in his love. The next thing it says here in God's word to us about it, if we receive it and we remain in it, we must then turn to begin to reflect this love. This love is not just for us, but it is meant to shine through us. I've said it before, I, I'll say it to you again. The love that has flowed to you must flow through you. You cannot come to a place and truly be a follower of Jesus to only receive his love and never reflect it. No, that, that can't happen. It's incompatible for a follower of Jesus Christ because literally if we're going to follow him, we have to obey his commandments. And he says, let your light shine so all men will see it. Let this love flow through you. And how can it flow through you if it hasn't flown to you? But if it only flows to you and in our hearts, we somehow stop it ever from reflecting out of us. We're missing it completely. Here's what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God but if we love one another and God lives in us and his love is made complete in us, you can't fully grasp the greater love that God has for us unless we're willing to love one another the way he has loved us. Unless we're willing to reflect this love to the world around us, to those that are hurting, to those that are grieving, to those that have lost, to those that are vulnerable, to those that are afraid, to those that don't look like us, whatever it might be, we have to love and reflect the love of God that he has for us. And he says, when that happens, his love is made complete within us. There's something that we grasp of the greater love that God has for us when we love one another and reflect this love to others. 1 John 4, 17, a few verses later, says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Says, part of how we can stand with confidence before God is that we love one another and we are like Jesus. We love like Jesus. We live like Jesus. We follow Jesus. And when we do that, could you imagine standing before a holy God next to your brother and sister in Christ, one day in his presence, and we haven't loved them the way that Jesus has loved us. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine the squirming I would do in God's presence if I'm standing there seeing that we all stand face to face with our Lord and Savior, and I haven't loved them like he loved me? This is what he's told us. Is this how you have confidence that you love like Jesus, you live like Jesus, that this love is complete. If we're not loving like him and reflecting this love, then the love is not complete within us. Something is still disconnected and broken. Do you understand this concept of the greatness of God's love and how it is meant to flow through our lives? Lord, help me to reflect your love. Jesus says this. He brings those two commandments that he tells this teacher of the law and affirms that these are the greatest. In fact, he says in Matthew's gospel, all the law and the prophets hinge on these, on loving God with everything we have and loving our neighbor as ourselves. But Jesus takes all of this, he brings it together and in John chapter 13, 
he says, I have a new commandment for you. Now that Jesus has walked with them, now that they truly have followed him, now that they have understood his love in a greater way, Jesus said this in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He said, look, the love that I've had for you, I expect now you love one another with that same love. And it says this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. What is the defining mark of Christianity? How good our messages are, how good our music is, that we have the right kind of signage on our front lawn, that we can quote all the right verses to people. Jesus said, this, you, want to, you want to know what the proof's going to be? They will know you by your love. That's the fruit that's meant to flow out of your life. It's not by the signs we hold. It's not by the shirts we wear. It's not by the words we say. It's by the way that we love that identifies us as his. It doesn't matter how this world defines you. I want you to know how heaven defines you. How the marker Jesus wants to use on our lives is, are you loving the way that I've loved you? Because by this, all men will know that you're my followers. Not just that you claim my name, but that you truly walk in my footsteps if you love one another. Come on, somebody. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Do we see what God's word is calling us to? It's a greater love. It's loving others the way that God's word teaches us. It's loving others like 1 Corinthians 13 would even spell out. Not just our spouse, one another. Not just those that agree with us, those that aren't even like us. To love the way that Jesus has loved and then finally, after we reflect this love, we must relay this love. We must hand this love down. We must pass this love on. We must love others with the love of Christ so that they themselves can experience it, be transformed, and then begin to love others in that same love. I want you to know that how you love others with the love of Christ could be the greatest marker of how their life and heart can be transformed. If you only love those that are like you, if you only love those that also love God, we're gonna miss it. But if we can love others with the love of God, then people will see the love of Christ within us. They will be attracted to that love and they will want to carry that love then to others as it changes their hearts and lives. John 15 verse 12, Jesus is reminding his followers of what I shared with you in 13. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. The love that flowed to you now has to flow through you. Love each other in this way, in this love. A few verses later, he says, this is my command. Love each other. Come on, do you think that, do, do, we, do we need any more words? Do we need any more verses? Jesus was so clear, this greater love has to be reflected, has to be passed on. Our children need to learn what this love looks like. Moms, dads, they're looking to you. Show them at this pivotal moment in history what God's love looks like. Show them it. Demonstrate it. Let them have a front row seat to the love of God flowing through your life. Teach them to love others the way that Christ has loved us. Watch what it will do. I'm ready to see the sin of racism, the sin of prejudice, the sins that are still plaguing our land today. What if we could be the last generation that anyone has to live through this? What if truly the transformative love of God could change and heal our land? I believe it's coming, friends. And I believe God could use us at this moment. This could be one of the things that ushers in another revival that can sweep through our land. We're believing it and calling for it and asking God for it. And I ask you to join me with that prayer to call out that his love will truly change us. How can we do this? He says this, 
we love, 1 John 4, 19, because he first loved us. The love that flows to you must flow through you. You know, I, I get to this and I think we, we understand it and the Apostle Paul prayed it so emphatically over the church of Ephesus particularly. But when we get to the book of Revelation and the Lord has a word for the church of Ephesus, here's what it says, the angel in the church of Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hands. This is Revelation chapter two, verses one through five. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. You have persevered. You've gone through the difficult times and endured the hardships in my name. You haven't even grown weary in that. Yet I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Here's what God has to say to the church of Ephesus. The church that the apostle Paul prayed for on bended knee, grasp this love. Allow this love to be something you remain in. Allow this love to be something you reflect. He says, look, you're doing the religious thing. You're doing the thing that looks great to everyone. And in, in, to the world, it looks like you're changing everything. But I have this one thing I want to tell you, that you have forsaken your first love. Everything you're doing isn't rooted and grounded in my love for you anymore. And I need you to repent at this moment. Because a life that is just motivated by anything else other than the love of God is going to miss it. Christian service, just to go through the motions, is going to miss it. If it isn't flowing from the love of God, the greater love that Jesus has for us, we're going to miss it. If we're just doing church, but this love isn't saturating us, isn't motivating us, isn't transforming us, he says, you're in danger. You're in danger. Repent, or I'm coming to remove your lampstand. You will not be my church if you don't return to that first love. This wasn't a church that was ready to shut her down and close its doors. It was a church that was doing a lot of great things. A church, I never want that to be said of evangel. I never want that to be said of you or me. Yes, you're doing it. You're serving the community. You're doing this and you're, you're doing that and you're such a diverse congregation and people from all tribes and tongues. That won't be the measurement of how many of the different ethnicities will walk through our door. The measuring stick is are we loving one another with the love that Christ has for us? Come on, every one of us, we can only answer that for ourselves. And we say, Lord, if I'm not, then help me to do that. Come on, right now, would you just lift your hands before the Lord and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be that church, Lord God, that loves the way that you love. We want to be a people that are so rooted in having received your love that, Lord, it just shines through us, Lord God. And that love is something that begins to transform other people's lives, Lord God, and communities. And that love flows through intensely through our lives that others catch it, receive not just the love that comes from heaven, but they receive you, Jesus, as their Lord, as their Savior. And then that love just begins to flow. This world needs to see love, Lord. And there's no greater love than your love for us. And so, Lord, help us to embody this greater love, I pray. Use this season to change us, Lord God, to remind us of who we are, whose we are, and how we are to live in love at this hour. In your name we pray. Right now, with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, I want to ask you a question. Because you cannot have anything 
any part of what we're talking about today, this love will remain foreign in your life until you have received it from heaven. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins. This is love that Jesus laid down his life in today. Today, he invites you into a life-changing relationship with him. Today, he invites you to turn from your sins, to turn from the things that have weighed down and broken your past, and he invites you into a life-giving relationship. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how many good things or bad things you've done. It, it is all about surrender, my friends. It is all about repentance. It is all about turning from any wickedness within us, anything that doesn't please the heart of God, and turning our whole lives towards him, coming to him humbly, asking for his grace and forgiveness to fill our hearts and lives. And when that happens, the love of God is showered onto your life in such a way that it can change everything. It can change your heart. It can give you a heart that is tender instead of a heart that is hurting and calloused and scarred. It can transform you and make you a brand new person. I'm so thankful I'm not who I used to be because Jesus has made the difference. So right now, if you're ready to receive that love, if you're ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right now, I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Come on, right where you're at, just close your eyes. Even if you want to, in your comfort, just lift your hands to heaven. Repeat these words. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I turn, Lord. I repent of them. And I want to follow you. I believe that you died for my sins. And I thank you. Today I commit to follow you. Thank you for loving me. Help me to now live in that love. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray for every person that said that prayer right now. That Lord, I thank you that heaven rejoices. I thank you that heaven has gained because they've made a decision that's going to change their lives forever. Now, Lord, I ask that they would be able to receive that love, that it would begin to shape their lives, that, Lord God, they will remain in that place, root and ground them in this love, Lord God. May no lie of hell ever try to shake them from that place that they are loved by you deeply. And, Lord, allow that love to bear fruit that changes lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Men, church family, at this time, I want us to take part in communion. What a perfect moment for us to come to the Lord's table. Right now, right where you're at, would you just grab the elements that you have? And if you still need to grab them, just go ahead and, and go wherever you can to get, to get a hold of those. But take some bread in your hand and take that cup, and we're going to begin to pray. This bread represents Jesus' body broken for us. It represents the fact that Jesus went to the cross. Come on, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much that you went to the cross for us. We thank you so much that you loved us this much, Lord God, that you laid down your life. Jesus, how great is your love for us. How great is your sacrifice. Thank you that you are the bread that's come down from heaven, Lord God. And today, Lord, we ask you to heal our hearts, heal our land, heal our bodies if they're broken, Lord God. As we take part at your table, Lord, remind us, change us, transform us, Lord. We're coming back to you. Lord, recalibrate our hearts to be aligned with yours, we pray. Lord, we know that none of it's possible without Calvary. So thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us. Come on, thank him in your own words. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's eat the bread together.
Take that cup in your hand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Lord, you've not only healed us spiritually, Lord God, you've torn down every dividing wall, every bit of hostility, Lord God. When we come, Lord God, in the same way that every single one of us, no matter what we look like on the outside, Lord, we bleed the same color. But also, Lord, no matter what we look like and how different we might be, if we belong to you, Lord, we're brothers and sisters, Lord God, because we are cleansed by the same blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's all that matters, Lord God. We are yours, and you've saved us and you've rescued us. But Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would search my heart. Come on right now, would you ask the Lord to search your heart? Holy Spirit, speak to my heart right now. If there's any unclean way within me, Lord God, if there's anything, Lord, any of these things that don't align with your heart, Lord God, help me to see it today. Convict my heart, I pray, Lord. Come on, pray. That's a dangerous prayer. Pray it. Ask the Lord in his presence to speak to your heart. Lord, convict my heart, Lord. And then help me, Lord, to live a life worthy of the calling you've given me. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. May it continue to mark our lives, changing us, transforming us, reconciling us to you and to one another, Lord God. Mark us, we pray. We thank you for your blood shed for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. Amen. I want to pray for you, church family. We're just at the beginning of a journey, and over these next weeks, I believe the Lord is going to do something so special in our hearts and in our lives. I want to pray for you right now, right where you're at. And I can't wait for us to be able to come together to worship. And in the days and weeks to come, we're going to be sharing some more plans of what it can look like as we begin to move through phases towards worshiping together again. But I want you to know, in, in this moment, in this time, my prayer for you is that God is going to transform us in this season. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for your church, Lord God. We thank you for your precious, precious body of believers here at Evangel. And we pray, Lord, that you will use us at this hour. Help us, Lord God, to embody your good news to all those around us. Help us to be changed lives, changing communities. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, church family. Love you so much. I can't wait to see you this Wednesday night. We're going to be having a special uh, prayer meeting as we do each Wednesday night. On Tuesday, we have our membership meeting. We can't wait for you to be a part of that if you're a member here at Evangel. God is moving in this season. We continue to look forward to all that he's going to do. God bless you.